What up? What's up, y'all? Welcome to the This Is Not That podcast, a conversation centering community, people, and politics. I'm one of your hosts, Joanna Bouch, here with the homies. Say what's up, guys. What's up? What's up? This is Isaiah. For anyone who doesn't know already. (laughs) This is Raphael. So we always love to, to start the podcast off with our just, you know, shooting the shit, seeing what went down these past few weeks. I think the big topic is the Bucks. Oh my yes. goodness, what a game. What a game on Saturday. Um, the last two games, man, some nail biters. Um, I'm so, so proud of the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, super excited for game six tomorrow, Bucks and six. Uh, Rafi, how are you feeling off of off of that win on Saturday? I mean, of course, uh, incredible, right? I've been a Bucks fan my whole life, so the Bucks haven't won in fifty years a championship in fifty years. So, and they've been terrible, like I mean, legit terrible my whole life. So for us to be talking about uh, the Bucks are one game away from winning a championship, that's surreal to me. But I think second, I mean, that's second. I think the most important thing is with the Bucks winning and the folks coming together down in the Deer District that we have overcome racism in our city. We have done it, y'all. We have overcome <laughs> racism. We have made it Finally, happen. right? <laughs> like, all it took was for the Bucks to win. This is our custom. And we have, oh, we have overcome all our racial divides. Period. Quality in our city has gone away because the Bucks are winning. So... Yep. Thank you, Giannis. I didn't know you were that incredible. Not only can you block shots and catch alley oops, but you can end racism. The man instant might- wealth, instant <laughs> wealth redistribution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He might be a uh, black Jesus. So, thank you, Giannis. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. Um, so we all know that that is false. Right. Um, But we see those narratives being spun super heavy in bigger media outlets. Right. Um, Comes back to our name. This is not that. This is not that. The Bucks are not um, eliminating the the racism or the injust that we're seeing here in Milwaukee. Um, And and it, it baffles me to see some some folks quoted in articles just saying like, Oh, if we could just keep this going. I mean, keep what going? Like, I mean, I'd be watching the, I'm watching the games from home and you know, they're scanning the deer districts. I I, I don't see anything, but just some people cheering for the bucks. Like, and like, what's the majority of people that I see white folks Mm. um, who can afford these tickets to go to the games. I mean, not me. Sure. I just saw some tickets for tomorrow's game, like $2,000. Like what? $2,000 $2,000 to go there? That's cheap. I think the, I think, I think what? the highest ticket, I mean, the lowest ticket was like five, five grand. Yeah, that's what? Yeah. Wow. See, I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm shocked. Like, like I've mentioned, like I, it, it's hard to not hear about the Bucks when you're in Milwaukee, but I, 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 I don't follow basketball all that closely, but it, it's hard to not at least First off, it's hard not to admire athletic ability and talent. Number one, that just goes without saying. And number two, it 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 it's it's hard to 
um, not acknowledge, you know, kind of like the positive vibe that is in the city right now when uh, in regards to the Bucks. But just so that no one thinks that we're just kind of just, you know, being facetious and talking shit. Uh, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel ran a headline recently saying um, in segregated Milwaukee, the Bucks playoff uh, run and Deer District offer a glimpse at a more unified city. Uh, just so that no one thinks we're screwing with you. What, you know, I, I, you know, shortly before, shortly before I got my job at uh, the Wisconsin Examiner, one of my last kind of acts as a, as kind of like a free man in that regard, was speaking at a Wauwatosa city meeting where they were deciding whether or not they wanted to have an equity and inclusion commission. And one of the aldermen's, uh, I think his uh, name was uh, Jason Krokoff, he, he, he made a similar comment. He was shutting down two ladies who was pushing for the equity and inclusion commission. He said, well, we have uh, Hamilton we all love watching the Bucks. In fact, we're missing the Bucks right now having this meeting. Uh, we all love uh, our, uh, you know, the Packers and uh, NFL. Most of these teamers are, are African-American. So haven't we made a lot of progress? Haven't we moved past all that? And I had to, after I said, I stood up and after I, and I had been invited to be there, but after I said my thing that I wanted to say, I, I looked him dead in his grill. I turned and I looked him dead in his grill and I said, look, like, do you, do you really think that that's enough? That's all well and good that you like watching us play basketball and football for you. But do you think that's enough? Because I don't think so. And I sat back down and that shamed him for weeks. I didn't even have to do anything because it's, it's stupid to say something like that. But, you know, there are real issues, you know, and real consequences people are no experiencing. Doubt. And they, the elite in this country always use sporting events to pump out that type of I would say representative or symbolism type of propaganda. I mean, whether it's the military commercial that goes on in the NFL or anytime a city um, does yes. something like, uh, you know, winning a sports, they always try to use it as a way to erase the real tangible issues that the city have. And I, hopefully for us, we don't, us at the grassroots level, don't fall for the okie doke, right? Don't fall for what they're pitching out there as like, now this solves everything. No, not at all. Because those same folks you see down there, for one, just on a general sports fan, most of the people downtown are casuals. They're not serious. I, you, it was three years ago, you could walk into a bar on a bus game night and you will have to fight with the bartender to put on a Bucks game. It's not this many Bucks fans. <laughs> for two, a lot of the Bucks fans were poor and working class people of color, right? And I don't see when I watch the um, um, the shots from the Deer District, it's not. I don't see too many of us down there, you know. And then when those folks leave, they get in their car, and some folks go right back to their their neighborhoods that have been drained of resources, drained of opportunity, and other folks go out right back to the suburbs and enjoy their comfortable lives. So let's let's not let's start with the bullshit. And let's not fall for the okie doke when it comes to this uh, false perception of racial unity and this is solves everything because the Bucks is winning because it's, it's BS. Mm, right. Um, meanwhile, a bunch of other Milwaukee Bucks fans are going home to eviction notices and high, the highest poverty rates probably in the country right here in Milwaukee for our Black community. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I am like, I share the frustration. Like what, 
where do they get off? Like, where do they get off thinking that if, if a Bucks championship is going to, you know, bring everything together, is that going to close the equity gap? Is that going to, is that going to, you know, bring all of our, um, you know, all this hatred towards Milwaukee is all that narrative and that rhetoric going to stop, right? Because I mean, just a couple episodes ago, we were talking about how some of our top state legislators were talking trash about Milwaukee, you know, dismissing us. They wanted to bring in a National Guard two weeks ago. They wanted to um, bring in a National Guard. Oh no, Joanna and Ralphie, you have it completely. You're you're uh you're uh you know you have it completely wrong. Don't you understand that because there's so many black basketball players on that team who may be from Milwaukee who make lots of money <laughs> that we have overcome racism and political oppression in this, particularly in this area. Don't you guys get that? I mean, I mean that, that was, you know, people who because because I I I only do that sarcastically because there there is that just to address the crowd who do feel that that like hey well these guys you know you have lots of like they like like they pick sports and music and say well there's black <laughs> people who have made living good like good good livings in that so there must not be a problem anymore like yeah that's weaponized identity though right like that's like using the few who who are able to make it through the muck and saying why can't you be like them right why can't you why can't you be lebron why can't you be 6 8 240 pounds and, and run a, a, a 4 3 uh, 40 it's like no like we have a system that allows a few to succeed to then be weaponized against the 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 rest of the people the grassroots to say well if they can make it you can't make it and not and then shifting the blame that's what it is it's shifting the blame from those in power to some type of behavior aspect of it and we all know that's bs right like we are talking the city of milwaukee has been going through 40 years of deindustrialization and and way longer than that when it came to racial discrimination and it's been no really serious um, ways of addressing it that came for the people in power. So now they have to shift the blame and it's always shift to the people, right? And what they're doing now, a lot of them doing now is, is using this Bucks run to the finals and run to a championship as a way to again, shift blame and almost completely erase the real tangibles, uh, inequities that we have in the system, you know? So again, I just say, don't fall for the hokey doke. Don't let them yeah. fall for that bullshit on us. Yeah, it's an illusion. It's an absolute illusion. I think um, before we go, uh, before we take a uh, you know, move on to the next segment here, just this quote I'm looking at in this uh, Sentinel article from a uh, from uh, I'm not going to say a guy's name. I mean, he's on the record, but it's a black resident. Right here, where the bucks are, is where you see the most love. There is no segregation. End quote. And so that's great. That's all well and good. You know, it's, you know, it's um, not to say, you know, not to completely discredit um, the positive vibes and, and, and what good it does do, but it shouldn't be used as an illusion to kind of say that they're, that these people, a lot of people don't, don't go back to just real situations, you know, once they leave there. And uh, we are uh, back with um, the This Is Not That podcast. And, you know, we left off with, you know, talking about, you know, the Bucks and some of the, some of uh, the symbolism around that with our city. 
and uh, I kind of uh, wanted to talk about uh, kind of like some real things that might you know be truly impacting the city like the ARPA funds you know and kind of like just the dynamics around that um, Ralphie Joanna did any of you guys have a uh, anything you wanted to start us off with? I mean, can we have an honest conversation? Both of you. Quick? Can we just share? Can we be real? I mean, sure. we look, better be. So the mayor, $400 million, came out with this uh, Milwaukee resiliency plan um, that he dropped. And it was basically recommendations for what we do with the opera money, American Rescue Plan money, which is $400 million that is coming to the city. And it's been this process over the last couple of months between the common council and the mayor trying to figure out what do you, what do, what to do with the money. And he put out for my, you know, uh, my job at uh, Citizen Action is the climate equity director. And we've really been pushing hard for transitional jobs and workforce development. And I think in his recommendations, he said he want 13.6 million, uh, $13.6 million dedicated to work community workforce development. And the first thing I thought was, is, is that good? Is that, is that enough? Like not really sensing or mm. understanding the scale of things. Like I'm poor. Like I come from right. a single mother of seven, right? Like I, you know, I know how a hundred dollars stretch, but I don't know how you stretch $13.6 million. Does that actually even begin to address the need, right? Is $13.6 million enough? And I think it's this dis disconnect when, uh, politicians put out and policies with big numbers without the political education or public education that needs to come with it with saying okay this is with this amount of money this is what we actually are able to do so I'm an organizer I've been in this for a while now and when some of these numbers come out when we're talking about millions or even billions of dollars and I was in a management meeting earlier we were talking about trillions of dollars it's for me it's hard to understand the scale of things right I know the scale of the problem. I see, I know my community, but I don't know if $13.6 million is actually addressing the scale or is it just a drop in the bucket? Right. It's that political education piece that you just mentioned, Rafi, that we've been talking about on the show, even back to these headliners about the Bucks bringing this, the Bucks championship, bringing this unity, unity, right? Like ending all these disparities and stuff that communities of color and poor people are facing. Um, it, it's the, it's our democratic governor, uh, praising his the budget that he just signed talking about tax breaks when we know that those tax breaks are for the more so the wealthy folks right um I feel you you know like when I think about a million dollars when I think about one million dollars I'm like bet that's a lot of money but right, 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 the scale right. it's the scale and you know I want to say nah like looking at their track record right looking at these some of these elected officials that have been in office for a really long time um, I don't know if I could take this like face value, fancy press release saying this 13.8 million is being invest invested into workforce development or this $30 million is being invested in a housing plan. Mm, I'm not there with it. Uh, I know one piece of the housing plan is putting in money for um, like basically for loans, right? So like property owners can get loans to fix whatever, you know, issue is like, causing them to have like high wind energies bills and whatnot. And I'm just, you know, one thing I was saying to Isaiah earlier is like, I don't, I don't want our people and poor people to have to apply for loans to, to fix anything, right? Like it's not their fault that they move into a house or buy a house that has a lead lateral pipe 
or you know, or, you know that they that they buy a house that was is so old it doesn't have that uh, energy efficiencies up to standard, right? And it's causing them to have high we energy bills. Like, let's fix the real issue, right? Like, mm-hmm. to me, they still sound like band aids. You know, am I, I know you want to go, Isaiah, just real quick to what Johanna was That's talking cool. about. It's um, connected to a history of uh, redlining, too. A lot of people live in self-standard housing mm-hmm. based on redlining policies back in the 50s and 60s. And what we have a real big problem with, and not just now, but in our country's history, which is dealing with, just trying to move past the the initial um, incident and just not deal with the consequences of, and the fallout of terrible policies or just terrible policies or just terrible positions, period, you know, and we have to like take time to really address that. And we can't just put band-aids, as you say, Joanna, and I completely agree on on the issue. We really have to get to, you know, um, the root of the issue, you know, and I think we so much of the time just be trying to get past it and just shove it in the past and erase everything. And that's where the bullshit happens. And that's why we never really see progress in the city because we really don't want to deal with the deep rooted history of the terrible policies and the, and the consequences of them. So, yeah, my fault. Yeah. No, it's no worries. Um, you know, there are just a couple of things that I wanted to point out about about the American uh, Rescue Plan and just kind of like this concept of scale in terms of funds, right? So, I mean, like, you know, with the American, um, with, uh, with uh, the COVID, with uh, the coronavirus st- uh, stimulus package total, we were looking at like uh, nationally, like a $1.9 trillion dollar, uh, kind of package that was created. Um, and that seems like a big number and it is, but, and, you know, it's really easy to get lost in the weeds when people are kind of like throwing around, you know, big, big budgetary numbers, whether we're talking about Milwaukee or, uh, or, uh, kind of like the national scale. But, you know, when we're talking about that, that package, you know, uh, nationally, uh, provisions for raising the minimum wage, which is something that many, many, many groups on the grassroots level have called for that, that was taken out. There was some hits with education, school and transit and all kinds of other things, you know, and I mean, you know, big numbers are good, but how big could the numbers kind of, kind of be, I guess, you know what I mean? Uh, People who are historic, people who don't have a lot of money sometimes, and that's basically most of us, uh, it's hard to kind of contextualize like when you throw out a number like $500,000, that seems like a lot of money to me and it would be a lot of money to me, but it's really not much in the grand scheme of things when it comes to kind of like, you know, a city, even a city budget, but at the same time, you know, it's like, okay, we're putting out these numbers, you know, like uh, we're putting together a trillion dollar package uh, to help, to help people, I guess, uh, after the pandemic, the big elephant in the room is that, you know, the richest Americans, um, and the richest people in this state do not pay their fair share of taxes. They do not pay their fair share into the system. And if you just want, and, and, and they do that by hiding things, by hiding assets offshore in tax havens, which is legally questionable. And then, um, you know, that money doesn't get recirculated. And if it does, it's just to, you know, buy out politicians and et cetera, essentially. When you're talking about Wisconsin, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of talking a little bit, but I just want to, you know, just a little context. When you're talking about Wisconsin, uh, during the pandemic, while everyone else was getting evicted and losing their jobs and everything, the eight richest people in this 
uh, in who live in this state, who are residents of the state, saw their collective wealth jump by 28%. They got $11.1 billion richer over, over the first 10 months of the pandemic. How many people? How, much? How many people did you say? Eight, eight people. <laughs> eight people. Okay. How much of that is, is going back into, you know, buying out some, uh, some, some politician on whatever side of the how much of that is actually accounted for in uh, taxes and then gets recirculated back? Uh, probably not a whole lot because, because um, that, that, that created a $2 billion state deficit, you know? So it, you know, like, like if they would have put in their fair share, we wouldn't have that $2 billion, uh, $2, $2 billion state deficit. So when we were talking about however much Barrett wants to uh, put out or Biden wants to put out, you know, you know, that those, those numbers could be a lot bigger, especially when you're talking about the national scale, all the richest people in this country who are doing the same thing as these eight individuals here, you know? That, uh, that's yeah. wild, man. You know, we, we've been talking a lot about the budget um at citizen action right and like i just want to shout out our colleague claire zadke for her just like breakdown of of some of the um items in the budget and like the big thing that i just can't get over is this like tax credit right evers keeps praising oh tax credits tax credits i did so good i'm, I'm fulfilling my promises right um Claire shared with us that 52% of tax filers in Wisconsin make less than 40,000 a year, mm. right? So we're prioritizing these eight people over the majority of Wisconsinites, right? I, I just can't get over it. I just, I, it baffles me. It upsets me. It angers me. I'm, oh, it's disgusting. And I mean, all the one, things. Yeah. And maybe the situation would be a little different, not maybe the situation should be a little different if they were putting in their fair share, but they're not, you know, they're, they're stowing it away and sitting on it like dragons. Okay. And, I mean, but, yeah. but that's connected to what you were talking about, Isaiah, like they got it that way because let's be honest, our political system is bought and paid for by mm. me, Right. So it's not like a surprising outcome. This is what happens when you allow the elite to run amok. This is when you have no checks on them, when you are allowing them the same rights as citizens, you have them being able to pay off politicians, threaten them with running somebody um, against them in their next election. And they are way more responsive to those folks than they are from folks at the grassroots level. And that's, that's the problem. We are, until we organize ourselves uh, and we really mobilize, we're going to be powerless against those powerful folks, right? It's organized money, organized people, right? And we don't got the money, then we got to organize the people. And until we do that, we it's going to be what you see. This is, it's no surprise that eight, those eight people got that uh, million, $11 billion of benefit because the system is set up for them to do that. I got their names in front of me too. I bet. You want to give a couple <laughs> of them a shout out? Yep, yep. Let's see here. John Menard jr uh herbert kohler jr diane Hendricks, judy faulkner um helen johnson leopold see so i'm struggling with these names listen to these names listen to how they sound you know there's a couple um, familiar last names in that group yeah kohler. and then you got leopold 
Arnold. Menard. Uh, S. S. Curtis Johnson. H. Fisk Johnson. I watched Daredevil on on uh, Marvel. I thought <laughs> Fisk was a made up name. Yeah. James Cargill the second. Listen Cargill. to these names. Cargill. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> right, right. And it's gonna be people that go to sleep hungry tonight, and they got those eight people got eleven point eight billion. Well, that's what it is, right? Eleven point eight billion in tax Calling it two. Well, yeah. Well, they just saw their their wealth rise. Yeah, I'm grow. My fault. The grow yeah. by the point. Billion dollars, so causing a two Literally. billion dollar deficit. Yeah, over here trashing uh, the working class, talking about the workers don't want to come back to work, and all of a sudden, not on them. Welcome back, y'all. We just uh, ended talking about those uh, eight elite who saw their wealth grow by 11 billion dollars and how the systems set up for them to do that and how power how elected officials respond to that type of power. I think we need to spend some time about talking about how difficult it can be for regular folks to get in contact with elected officials. You know, um, look, my job a Citizen Action, again, is a climate equity director. And we've been working <laughs> for two years now um, with the Climate and Equity Task Force on uh, climate and equity. And, uh, the task force came out with some, I think, great recommendations. And part of my job is actually going in front of elected officials to, to lobby for them. And when I tell you it's been hell, hell, trying to get a hold of these elected officials, it's ridiculous. Now, this is someone that has at least a title, but I can only imagine with the everyday folks, the person going to work, the bus driver, the mom working, her, walking their kids to school, that, you know, the chef, those type of folks, when they need help, how hard it is for them to get a hold of elected officials. I guess my question to y'all is, what the hell is that all about? <laughs> what, do, and what do we do? What do we do to get these elected officials to, to hear from the masses and not just respond to uh, eight billionaires, basically, millionaires and billionaires? You know? Well, I mean, I... Yeah, you know, Joe, you know, you can go. If yeah, you want. I was just gonna say, you know, it's, it's discouraging for our people, right? Like, when we think about trying to mobilize the base, right, our people power, uh, it's, you know, our people power versus their, their money. Um, and then, you know, we get folks to be like, okay, bet I'll make these calls, I'll call my elected official. And then they don't get a call back, they don't get an answer, there's no response. Like, I just, it's frustrating because then we're still, we, you know, we obviously want the people to not give up, but I can understand how it takes a toll on folks, right? Like Rafi said, you know, we make these phone calls, send these emails with our, with our director titles and this whole last organization behind us. Um, and, and we can't get anybody to call us back, right? Whether it be at the local level or at the state level, it's, it's upsetting. Um, and like, I just, I hope that folks like don't, get so discouraged that they stop right because they have to answer at some point right like we we just got to keep hitting them hard hitting them hard with the phone calls with the emails like flooding their stuff uh they're they're public servants it's it's in their job descriptions to answer to us the people um and if they've forgotten that then like we gotta we gotta keep reminding them whether it's 
you know, during election years, off election years, it's all the time. Like we should constantly be hitting them up and holding them accountable to stuff. And I know it can sound, um, it's, it's super daunting to like not get responses, but, um, I can, I can, I can, I feel confident in saying that this is the route. Like we have to keep making those calls. We have to keep sending those emails. Yeah. You know, just, you know, real quick, it's, uh, you know, it's just, uh, I kind of have like a two kind of perspectives on this, you know, because on the, you know, as a journalist, I've reached out to um, people, uh, you know, elected officials and locals, uh, local officials, and I will say, especially in Milwaukee sometimes, but also at the state level, it can be hard to get people to respond to you, even as a journalist, even when it's a story that they should care about or, or pertains to them directly. Uh, it, it, it can be remarkably hard. And I mean, I, I just have to say the FPC, particularly in Milwaukee, they do not respond to my calls, my emails. I don't know how to get them to. Now, when you, you know, as a journalist, you can, um, uh, corner them in the hallway somewhere try to get them like to answer you on the spot that's different you know it shouldn't take that right i mean like when you're talking about like call blasts and activists deciding we're gonna have a hundred of us all flood this person's facebook page and call them at once that happens because it's hard to get in contact with people and it and, and it just it just shouldn't be on the other hand i have a lot of people who reach out to me and at, and try to ask me to do certain things or look into certain things or et cetera. And I, I just, it's hard to respond to every email. It's hard to, you know, look into everything that could be investigated. Um, it's, you know, me, myself, I'm a human being and I, I, I get it. I'm exhausted. You know, you get exhausted, you get tired. So I can only imagine what it's like for some of the elected officials. So I guess just a little devil's advocate there from just personal experience, but there still isn't, an excuse to the extent that it is, you know? You know, I respect that, right? Like I appreciate, you know, the the double perspective. Um, also want to just flag that they have these like full-time staffers and offices where people work for them. <laughs> and it's like low-key their job again, like it's their job. I think that's what job, I mean, that's what, like, it's the, I'm sorry to just repeat it, but that, that is their job. I mean, the simple fact that we said in, in our last segment, we talked about like us not understanding the scale. Why aren't y'all putting on these public education forums where you actually walk through the recommendations and you break it down for folks? What else are you doing? Like, I, what else are you doing? Right. So like, I, for me, I think sometimes the lack of information or the, the lack of trying to educate people on the issue actually is a way to prevent pushback or prevent actual participation in the system. And that for me makes it even more of a, uh, I'm trying not to use the word sick, but I can't think of another word, sick way of uh, keeping power, which is you keep people not educated for they won't be able to push back on you or they won't be able to provide uh, constructive criticism into into the policies that you're uh, recommending so for me I just think overall it's one of the core tenets of being a public servant is actually serving the people and if you're not doing that and if you're not doing actually doing it to the point where you're educating the people then you you're not doing your job I think 
Yeah, Joanna, you talked about us making phone calls. I think that's real. I think we need to keep on doing that. But I think going back to our prior conversation, like we got to have organized money. I mean, organized people to, against organized money. And that's really going to take real base building. That's going to get in the community, getting in the community and doing that deep relational organizing for when they have Menards or uh, Miss Cargill, whoever, given a call they actually got to think twice because they know it's the organizations out there with thousands upon thousands of people to either keep them in office or get them out of office so we have to just keep on organizing we got to keep on base building and that's where our power is going to come from because we don't have the money we're never going to compete with those billionaires but we do have the people power we just got to get it organized you know one thing too to keep in mind as as we're talking about uh not only the um lack of responsiveness from uh, from elected officials, um, uh, but also this conversation about like, you know, the rich uh, and kind of where the power really lies. Uh, I think it's, it's also important to keep in mind that, um, I don't know, it's, 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 it's a little hard to, uh, it's a little hard to phrase actually. Okay. Well, this is, this is okay. This, that was an unnecessary long pause. I'm sorry, y'all, but this is what Isaiah is trying to say, basically. So while, but I mean, like, while we're talking about that, it just, it's like a big picture kind of, uh, kind of, uh, look, because it's like, you know, right now, for example, there's a lot of protests around the police and the fact that the police get 50% of our budget. I've always kind of thought, you know, in Milwaukee, we're kind of having a situation where there's $5 on the table and there's people around the table fighting for that $5 and the police are getting like half of that $5 instead of trying to figure out how to turn that $5 into $10 and $15. This artificial uh, conflict that's happening. If these eight individuals weren't causing a $2 billion deficit in the state, and if some of their, um, frankly, their minions, uh, uh, so-called elected officials on one side of the aisle or the other, weren't doing things like cutting shared revenue and routing it to their communities and et cetera, then maybe we, we, we wouldn't have some of these conflicts uh, between the community and the police, not in the sense that there wouldn't be, you know, um, instances of violence or whatever that's not really what i'm talking about but like the 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 issue of the budget and the reallocation if the resources were actually being allocated the way they're supposed to maybe some of those conflicts wouldn't wouldn't even be occurring you know it's almost like a like a uh you know you know they uh the quintessential of uh of uh they have us all fighting each other instead of looking up and seeing what they're doing and it's really like less than 10 people in this state you know so that that I, I guess that's what that long kind of pause was. It was you kind of like that, a that long grand... pause. Man, I thought it was good, bro. It made you, you had some Obama in you. You know, it was like that. Obama no, I don't pause. say that. You lead it up to like a uh, you know a deep thought. So I, I appreciate the long pause. It might not be the best for podcasting, but in general no. conversation, <laughs> trying to cover well, up. The... But... <laughs> Ron, uncut content um, from the three of us on the This Is Not That podcast. So we're going to take a, a tiny, tiny break. We'll be right back. Yep, yep. Um, okay, so we're back. And, 
you know, this was not a show that was just supposed to be us like complaining and whatnot, right? Like we know that there's some responsibility in our work, right? As organizers um, and like when it comes to political education, like, right? I do believe that that's our part too as, as organizers in the community to provide this education for, um, the, for our people, right? For our base. Um, and so like, you know, one of the things that I'm like super, super proud of that I've been working on with Citizen Action um, is the launch of our Movement Politics Academy. Uh, our application just went live last week uh, and it is a nine week program, nine week course to talk about political education, talk about how did we get here? Talk about neoliberalism, talk about the importance of power and how um, in the hands of the right people can can create some real good and change for our communities. Um, I'm looking to work and, and develop the next set of leaders, right? To change Wisconsin politics. You know, I believe that by 2050, this is gonna be a people of color majority state. Um, and we gotta be ready for that, right? Like we gotta be preparing people. We gotta be developing, investing in them. Uh, we know that we know that when, when folks invest in other people, like we can see real change, right? Like that means something when we invest in folks and, and we can't leave it to nobody else, right? Like we can't, like, like they say, we can't be waiting to get saved. And so just super excited to launch this academy. Um, want folks to check it out on our website, citizenactionwi.org. And we'll make sure to put the link uh, in the show description. Um, and, and reach out to me, reach out to me if you have questions, if you're interested in running for office, if you've thought about it, or, or maybe you didn't think about running for office, but you know that you want to see change, some real structural change in your community. Um, hit me up. Let's talk about it. Let's get you applied for this program. It, the application is going to be open throughout the rest of August. Um, and, you know, mid-September, we're going to be announcing the folks that are going to be accepted to this first cohort. Um, and then the Academy starts in October. So really excited for this work. Um, couldn't have done it without the People's Action fam um, and our national network. So yeah, just, I'm, I'm really yeah. excited about this. Always wanna make sure that we're giving people an outlet to get active, to get involved. Let me ask you a question. Why? If I'm a, a person, right? What's gonna separate what you're doing from all the other, you know, recruitment um, platforms that's looking for the run people for office, right? Um, yeah, you, you know, there's a lot of, yeah. right? Like there's a lot of great uh, trainings that are out there, right? Wisconsin Progress, uh, we just put in, and last week, Friday, you know, we do a, a weekly blast to our, to our members and our network just with some highlights and stuff. And one of the things I know we mentioned is Wisconsin Progress is like one day trainings that they got coming up. Um, and those are great, right? Emerge is great. Uh, they offer some really, some needed information. They provide some really great resources for folks that are interested in running for office. But again, I, I think about our academy at Citizen Action, the Movement Politics Academy, and we're really going to dive deep on ideology, right? Like that political education, not just the fundamentals and the logistical parts of like, how do I run a campaign, right? How do I access my my base? How do I know who's in my district? Um, you know, how do I pull a list and then turn that into a volunteer canvas, right? It's, 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 it's going to go farther than that, right? It's going to be, what should you be talking about when those, with those people, when you're knocking on the door, on their doors, right? Like, how can you talk to voters? What can you talk to them about? Um, it's about pushing a 
a progressive agenda um, that's going to, I believe, see real change, right? And and I appreciate you asking that question, Rafi, because to me, this is something that's never been done in Wisconsin. We haven't had a, a, a training like this that focuses on um, values. Um, and so part of it is like just asking y'all to take a chance and, you know, dive deep into this theory, this idea that if we can talk more about um, values and ideology, then we can get some, a different type of candidate, you know, ones that we don't feel like we're having to settle for. Um, so it, it's asking a lot of people to take a risk. And yeah, that's why I would love if people just hit me up so that we can talk about it and I can share kind of my vision and where this is all coming from. You know, I come from a family that's pretty political. We've been political probably, you know, my whole life, like talking about voting and the importance of voting has been a, a common subject growing up for me. And I know that that's not the same. That's not the reality for a lot of uh, folks from my community, people that look like me. And so I just think I have a different perspective and I'm really excited for the Academy again, just want to like encourage people to reach out, ask questions. Um, you know, we're, we're looking to, uh, you know, we, I know that we need to elect more women, more people of color, more queer folks, more people from the working class. You know, like we think about some of these uh, campaigns that are making promises to the middle class, even from people that have D's behind their name, right? The middle class is not who I'm trying to organize. I'm talking about working class Wisconsinites, people that are making $17,000 a year, right? People that are watching their hours at work and making sure that they don't go ab above a certain amount of hours so they don't get kicked off of Badger Care or lose their food stamps, right? Like that's who I'm talking about. That's who we need to organize. That's who we need running for office. You don't need um, to be, you know, this straight white man lawyer that comes from all this money, right? graduated from Marquette, like, right, like, I'm over that profile. Um, and I, I think a lot of people are. And so like, let's, let's change who's running for office. So we're, we don't have to settle when we get to the ballot box. You know, I've been lucky enough to have those conversations with you <clears throat> offline. And I know, like, down to your core, it's just not about all the things that you laid out, like, uh, you know, a walk sheet and all that type of stuff, right? The normal mechanisms of a political campaign, but you really concentrate on ideology and like, what do people believe, right? To their core. And I think that's so important because we go back to what we talked about in a lot of prior segment when they talked about <coughs> politicians or elected officials being responsive to the people. I guarantee you someone who comes from the grassroots who will understand what it is to be hungry and not, and not, it wasn't, and, and it's, in their most recent past, right? Like not something that happened 10 years ago, 15 years ago, like I was, I'm hungry now, they will be a lot more responsive uh, than someone who's grown comfortable, right? So uh, I just know that, you know, I'm really looking forward to this academy. I know you're gonna do some awesome things with it because you, uh, you're right, it's all about ideology and it's so important, you know. Is that you about to say something? Yeah, I mean, you know, as you guys are kind of saying that just, speaking from the perspective of a journalist, I just kind of think to just this general kind of evolution that's kind of happened with a lot of the groups on the ground, whether the people's revolution um, um, or um, even some talk with some other groups, uh, even the Milwaukee Alliance Against Racism, Political Repression, just there's more conversation about how do you move from 
a street, a movement in the streets and to kind of like claiming some of the seats uh, in office, you know, uh, it's just an interesting evolution that's kind of happened, which I think has stemmed from a trial and error kind of uh, period that a lot of these groups have had to go through trying to get some of their demands and their causes met. Uh, another group is the Milwaukee Autonomous Tenants Union, which does with a lot of, you know, issues with evictions and et cetera. And in Milwaukee County, <clears throat> excuse me, in Milwaukee County, we just got uh, a right to counsel for tenants so that they have a means to defend themselves from evictions, you know, and to represent themselves. Uh, that was a direct demand, you know, that was in the streets and that has been met. So, just some thoughts that kind of came to mind, you know, just kind of how these things evolve over time. You know, um, and Isaiah, you saw it firsthand because you were, you covered the protests, you know, but how much and how many, how much uh, leadership and, and potential was in those protests last year for folks that can run for office in the future, right? It was hundreds, I mean, I mean, thousands of people out in the streets and I'm pretty sure you ran across more than a couple of uh, potential leaders of p people who might run for office in the future that can really change the dynamic in our city. So uh, yeah, I think it's so important uh, that we actually, you know, I have my uh, feelings around the political system as it is, is it a way to really get full and for me, I always think about it, liberation for black people, right? When you talk about black liberation, is the political system ever going to happen? And that, you know, we can have that discussion. And, uh, but I do think we need to be wherever power is, right? Wherever power mm -hmm. is, we need to be on that, on that playing field. And if it's uh, uh, politics, we need to be in the political game and we need to be running individuals who are grassroots and go back to what Joanna says, you are working class people need to be running for office because I guarantee you their decision makers and the things they advocate for and the policies they push for would be completely different um, than what we currently have. So, you know, if you are one of those young folks that are out there or if just period, if you was out there last year and it really concerns you, get in contact with Citizen Action for the Movement Politics Academy because it's basically building up the next bench of uh, elected officials for the future and it makes me feel happy that it's uh, being led by someone I know has good ideology and good viewpoint of uh, how things should be run in this city. Appreciate that, Rafi. All right, y'all, we are going to wrap this one up. Um, stay active, y'all. Keep hitting yes. them hard. Keep, keep fighting for what you know we need. And we'll see y'all in a couple of weeks. Laters, laters. Go Bucks.